Hello everyone, this is Karin Takar and welcome to the Zenergy Podcast. Over the past decade, India has done an impressive job of integrating renewable energy into its energy mix. For this Fulbright podcast series, I sought to investigate the enabling factors and potential of India's global leadership in renewable energy with the focus on solar. This Fulbright series is broken down into four seasons. In this season, through conversations with 10 leading social entrepreneurs and development experts, we will illustrate how renewable energy in India has taken off at the rural level. Not only will the series provide insight into their fascinating entrepreneurial journey, but also how they've been able to overcome the financing, consumer awareness, and distribution challenges associated with rural solar energy deployment at a large scale. In this episode, I will be speaking with Piyush Mathur, the recent CEO and long-running CFO of Simpa Energy. Piyush has been attributed to helping Simpa scale and expand into 22 more districts across three states, with 700 employees and 3,000 village-level entrepreneurs. Simpa is well known for its unique usage of technology, which we will explore in this conversation with Piyush. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Piyush as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. I'm just curious as to like how it all happened in terms of like the logistics of it. So someone connected you and you guys like got, you guys met up and then explained to you the business or how? It- yes, one evening I was having a Skype call with another of my friends from London Business School who was at that time was based in Abu Dhabi. Okay. And he had heard of Simpa somewhere and he mentioned very randomly to me that since I mean all of us were interested in the space of climate change, climate finance mm-hmm. um, and development finance, um, he just mentioned to me randomly, oh, have you heard of Simpa? They seem to be doing some clever work in India. And I was like, I hadn't heard of Simpa by then. I I sort of go to the website of uh, Simpa right away, and I uh, see this progressive purchase model, uh, which then sparks off few ideas in my mind. And I mean, it was a fascinating concept being applied in a very development uh, context. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could see a few applications for it. So just like a lazy private equity guy, I shoot off an email to info at simponetworks.com no way um, asking wow. for a chat um, and uh, to, to better understand the technology and possibly make some helpful commercial introductions mm-hmm. and Paul Needham who is the founder of Simpa um, and later would be my colleague um, then called back after a week or so we got chatting I think it was clear that Simpa's meeting technology um, was not sort of quite made for the kind of applications I was imagining in my head, mm-hmm. but uh, but it sort of led to a uh, sort of nice introduction to uh, to Simpa, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and yeah, I was I went from that call fairly impressed, uh, hearing from Paul everything that they had done, um, having moved their families mm-hmm. to India to set up the business to um, do some early pilots in Karnataka, which is south of India. And um, and see some early traction. Mm. So um, all of that sort of left me 
quite impressed. And then I, uh, again, I mean, just have a sense of kind heart offered to Paul uh, that he's welcome to call back if, uh, uh, if I could be of help in any way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that sort of triggered a series of conversations which ultimately culminated in me joining the business uh, six months later. I see, in 2014. Yes, that's right, yeah. Very interesting. And yeah, this progressive purchasing pay-as-you-go pricing model that Simpa employs also very much fascinates me, and I find it to be quite unique in terms of I've spoken with a few other entrepreneurs who work in this space, and yeah, this model has always attracted me, and I feel like it's a very unique one so for those listening who may be unfamiliar, can you talk about some of the core components of this model in terms of like how it works, both from the customer point of view, as well as the sales channel, meaning like after the initial agreement with the customer is signed, what generally takes place? Sure, absolutely. So Simpa has always stood for making uh, clean energy and clean, abundant energy, accessible and affordable for rural poor people mm-hmm. who otherwise do not get reliable energy through the grid. Uh, and the way Simpa makes it happen is by packaging a solar micro rooftop device, which is of a capacity sufficient for a rural home or a shop, mm-hmm. uniquely with financing at the point of sale as well as after-sales service. So there are three elements in the proposition. It's not simply the device. It's also the financing to make it affordable and after-sales service at the doorstep at customer's home to actually uh, make the product and the use of it accessible and hassle-free for the customer. Now, the way it works is that we have a number of sales agents out in the field mm-hmm. um, who are all on Simpa's mobile app. And uh, they use that mobile mobile app to visualize the use cases and show videos to the customers at the point of sale and help them into selecting a suitable product for them. Uh, Then they also uh, counsel them into selecting an appropriate pricing plan, which could be anyway over a one to three year period. Okay. And... uh, Instantly, in a sort of assisted e-commerce way, they book a order right there, collect a small down payment, and then within 48 hours, we process this, that order from the customer and install a system on customer's rooftop and make it live. So it all happens at um, very high uh, velocity, mm-hmm. um, and it happens uh, a number of times during the day. So it's all sort of um, facilitated by the technology that we have invested in. We call it progressive purchase because this is really the first time that anybody has an opportunity of acquiring a small power plant, which they can call their own Mm -hmm. for their home or their shop, and then also pay for it in a progressive way such that they're not having to bear the upfront cost of it, which is prohibitively high for many of them. Mm -hmm. They can actually progressively buy it as a make payments every month. The payments that they make every month count not only towards the service, but also the capital cost of the equipment, such that by the end of that payment period, which is anywhere between one to three years, 
the equipment then the ownership and the equipment transfers to the customer and they own it completely so from that point on the energy is free uh, the customer is left with their own little power plant mm-hmm. uh, which is um, their own and uh, and can enjoy the continued use of use of it for a remaining useful life of uh, 10 to 15 years that makes a lot of sense and just to Yeah, I'm just very curious about the like specifics. I'm just going to ask a few more questions on this. Sure. And so after a sales agent like makes that initial agreement with the customer and then so at the moment of sale does the customer um provide a down payment or does Simpa then have to verify like whether a customer meets their um maybe financial credibility criteria? So like what happens directly after say an agreement between a simple sales agent and a customer takes place So if you are a person somewhere out in the rural territories where we operate mm-hmm. and a simple sales person has visited you and counseled you into selecting your appliance as well as the financing package to go with it mm-hmm. uh we'll ask you for a very small down payment which is typically about 10% of the capital cost of the total appliance okay and um, and uh, that will trigger processing of an application uh, in the back end uh, we'll do our credit checks we'll uh, speak to our banking partners and then as i mentioned earlier within the next 48 hours we'll have that equipment delivered to your place and installed it so okay um and then from that point on um the customer has to pay Uh, small monthly payments which could range from anywhere between $10 to $25 depending on the size of the device which are mostly digital payments now increasingly digital payments yes yes okay understood understood yeah that makes a lot of sense now to make it work in the back end what we have done is uh, implant uh iot device in every solar um, installation that we complete mm-hmm. so that we can remotely monitor it uh, its location its performance its usage um and um god forbid if the customer stops paying or something happens mm-hmm. then maybe even in the most extreme of the cases um uh, disconnect that device or uh, stop that device remotely so we can also control that device okay now that may seem very negative but hey it's a great uh, credit reinforcement tool uh, for our banking partners or our financing partners mm-hmm. who deeply value it because it provides that sort of uh, second line of security um, beyond our field skills people that guess we have a recourse to a customer who stops paying and we can we can take some actions which might redress that situation mm-hmm. i see so but i think from the from a business standpoint this remote monitoring technology that i just described actually has a number of other advantages so because we can monitor the usage of the device we actually have a chance to um present customers who are let's say peeking out on their usage um with a higher capacity device as a follow on device which they can buy so we can be a little clever about um 
managing customer experience and delighting them by proactively um, offering them an upgrade okay. because we know that they, yeah. they're the right candidates to take advantage of it. Uh, similarly, it also helps us uh, proactively monitor any service issues um, or performance issues with any of our installations. So we could actually, um, uh, even before the customer has started to realize the problem, uh, detect it remotely in our systems and mm -hmm. uh, activate uh, our field technicians to go visit the location and fix it. Very that again, That again sort of helps with enhanced customer experience. Can you talk a little bit about the costs of these systems? Sure. I The typical system costs around $300 for an individual household. But they don't pay $300. US upfront. dollars. Yeah, US dollars. And they pay a very small upfront amount, maybe say, what, $30? 10% of that. And then they keep paying a regular uh, monthly amount. We call it EMI, equated monthly installments. Once they pay us enough... So they, they have this flexibility to subscribe to various lease term, right? 12 months, 6 months, 24 months, 36 months, depending on their appetite. How much they can pay every month, how, how much they can afford to pay. So once they pay their lease period, the system unlocks permanently and it belongs to them now. They have the ownership. The ownership gets transferred to them. So that's the rough cost. So do your systems generally power the whole rural household or... Do they also require grid connection in addition to your system? Depends on the household size. If a typical family member, you know, parents, two kids, maybe one grandparent or grand, that kind of family is absolutely can rely on our system. They, they can go totally sufficient. We have a 300 watt system which has multiple fan. They can run multiple fan, multiple lights, the basic needs and a TV. But that's the basic need. But you cannot really, if you dine beyond that, if you want to run a refrigerator, you want to, you know, use some other appliances. Yes, you would need grid. But for basic load, as we say, you can really go off grid with our solution. And what is the challenge in convincing these customers to adopt your systems? Meaning, are they generally pretty receptive? Or does it take a lot of convincing? Like, what are the main pain points? Sure. No, it takes. This general awareness is very low. So, so people do not understand solar as such. Uh, so, so, so that itself is a big barrier. Uh, so, first you have to tell about solar, irrespective of your own product. How, how does it work? How it would be beneficial, etc. So, that's the first barrier. Once they understand, yes, that solar is good. The second barrier, of course, is price. Uh, uh, but then you overcome that with all your finance options and stuff like that. Once that is done, the third barrier is, of course, the compar comparison with the grid, right? So is it like grid-like? Uh, yes and no. No in the sense that you cannot just like, there's a limited power, right? The solar can only produce limited power. Grid is unlimited. You, you can virtually connect any number of loads. You keep connecting. So here you don't. So there is a... Com comparison around that factor. So these are the typical challenges that we face in our day-to-day -day business. Before your customers adopt your product, mm -hmm. what is their situation like? Do they generally experience power cuts? Like what is 
the reason for them taking your product as opposed to their current situation? Sure. We have three types of customer segments first to say. One is off-grade. So they, they do not have grid. So these people are looking at grid-like power lights for the kids study, fan for comfort, but they do not have grid. So they, that's one segment of customers. They're looking at solar. The second is they have grid, but grid is very unreliable. So it doesn't fulfill, they do not have greed when they want to watch TV. They do not have greed when the kids want to study. Uh, it's there in the order time. So, so these are unrealized. That's the second segment of the people. And then there's a third segment who, for whom we are very relevant. The third segment is people who has greed and who have it very reliable, meaning it's 24 by 7 almost, or 20, 20 hours by 7, 22 hours by 7. Uh, but the problem is it's, they have to pay basis consumption. The first two segments that I said, off-grid, they do not pay anything, obviously, no grid. People who have very unreliable grid, they normally pay a very fixed amount. It's unmetered. It's not consumption-based. But people have, who, who has very reliable grid, they have to pay basis consumption. So for them, then they suddenly get, they face the cost of electricity. So they look at solar or us, Simpa, as an alternative or, or a power-saving proposition. Because... The cost per unit is cheaper. Yeah, or they shift the base load to solar, then their electricity bill reduces. And what is the payback period for these customers generally? So, less than three years. And which customer segment out of those three is your main? No, it was in phases. Like when we started, like I said, most of India was rural India was off-grid. Now, today, you don't find any off-grid uh, village. So, the off-grid is gone. Unreliable, 50%, and reliable, but paying, uh, who are looking at as an energy saving profession, under 50%. Thank you so much for your time. Very interesting. And yeah, I've, I was reading somewhere that as CEO, you were very key in terms of helping Simpa scale. Like, I think I read that Simpa at least expanded to 22 more districts in three states well, as, as you were the CEO of the company. And I, is, was this technology factor one of the keys to enabling that? And also like when you're evaluating whether to scale into a new area, like what are some of the key considerations you take into account um, prior to executing on expanding sure so i think another of the things which is unique about simpa is that we always were very clear that we are building a commercial solution to a long-standing socio-economic problem mm -hmm. um, so for for this to be commercial we have to employ all those disciplines which you would expect um in a sort of contemporary startup, a new age uh, technology business, uh, perhaps. But I mean, in today's time, uh, technology is a great sort of uh, leverage that everybody must use to not only build scalable processes, but then also achieve greater degree of control, especially when you are managing a very uh, geographically dispersed operation. Mm -hmm. 
So that's that was our sort of approach to using technology. Yes, we were always very clear that uh, the only way we can actually uh, build these scalable processes without sort of multiplying cost with our multiplying scale is to um, invest in technology and uh, um, run them through technology. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that was definitely a motivation, and that's the sort of direction we took. But then, uh, equally. Um, technology also helps in enhancing the degree of control um, and monitoring that one could exercise on the whole business so that you could actually come to very swift decisions about making changes, introducing products for mm-hmm. different geographies where, where you're operating, or even changing prices. Um, uh, but all of that would not be possible very swiftly if we were not managing it through technology. Understood. Mm-hmm. Your other question was about how do we select areas where we operate? Exactly. Like, what what are some of the key decision-making criterias in terms of when you're deciding whether to scale or expand into a new area? Yes. So, of course, I think there is the the customer need that uh, one needs to look at and start with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would obviously be looking for areas where the energy availability is patchy, irregular, um, or the cost of electricity is very high, and therefore the customers are looking for an alternative solution. So, okay. uh, so that would most certainly be one consideration or one category of considerations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we would also evaluate any new area where we are, which we are sort of considering to operate in, um, on on our ability to service effectively. So, I see. Uh, what's the sort of uh, road infrastructure? Can our people travel deep into the villages? Uh, go all the way to people's homes and shops um, and uh, quickly uh, provide service? Uh, Are we able to find uh, delivery partners locally who can actually go and quickly deliver our product? Um, So, yeah, I think I would say it's a mix of um, considerations uh, ranging from obviously the strength of customer need Mm -hmm. to our ability to actually deliver on that customer need effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, But the final consideration then would also be what many microfinance companies would employ uh, in terms of understanding the credit culture and the credit behavior of local people, because in a way, we're also offering customers financing Mm -hmm. on the product. And uh, we must therefore also employ those filters and disciplines, which ensure uh, a high uh, portfolio quality. I see. I see. And if you were to maybe say a few words to say someone who's currently graduating from bachelor's or is just entering like the workforce or maybe even to your own younger self, like Piyush when he was 22, what would, what insight would you give in terms of like whatever, whatever, whatever you want. What anything you would you would say? Um, I think my my big learning is that uh, rather than settle or compromise uh, or give in a little too early, um, a few extra days or months of um, sort of really uh, exploring deeply 
what exa exactly excites you and what you uh, feel like committing to for the next six, seven, eight years. Uh -huh. Because, I mean, whatever you get involved in, it does take that long to get started and then ultimately bring it to a fruition. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm afraid I don't have any uh, signs to sort of give you hair, mm -hmm. but uh, I suppose my couple of messages are that follow your heart and uh, hold out for the right thing rather than settle for a compromise because um, every uh, career switch uh, or every infection point then commits you uh, for another seven, eight years. So that's a significant amount of time out of your life. Mm -hmm. I think the other big piece of advice I'll want to offer to a, to a younger self of my own mm -hmm. would be to um, invest in understanding technology uh, in all its uh, sort of majesty and glory uh, so that uh, you are able to employ it in all clever ways uh, that um, it can be used. Because I think in, uh, in times to come, even today, um, uh, how we're going to be building businesses and organizations will actually depend quite significantly on how we effectively we use that technology. So that would be the other thing I'd just like to add. Thank you. Thank you. This is, and uh, last question is, so how do you see like solar in terms of like, what, what do you personally believe the future of solar to be? Oh, I'm I'm very positive and um, um, and uh, yeah, excited about the possibilities that solar holds out for our world, our community. Um, because, as I said earlier, I think it, the technology has now come to that point. I'm talking about the solar technology, but the solar technology has now come to that point where it can actually generate meaningful amounts of power. Uh, where it has where it has to be consumed mm -hmm. so that that distributed feature of uh, solar technology uh, is is game changing it's it's like a secular trend which is irreversible i mentioned earlier how we've seen that trend play out in some adjacent sectors like transport even technology for that matter uh, we've gone from mainframes to personal laptops and now handheld devices it's playing out now as we speak in solar technology. And as it plays out and as solar technology runs through its technology evolution curve, uh, we are also seeing prices go down quite significantly every single year. So the combination of those two factors, prices coming down plus the power and potential of the technology itself increasing all the time, is creating new opportunities for us to think about energy infrastructure in a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. Also then start to pair it with applications. So we've always understood energy as uh, electrons, which then enable a certain use, like they run a fridge or uh, they, run a, uh, they can power a mobile phone, which we use. But I think in the, in the, in the, days and years to come, um, you could also employ the solar technology in combination with 
the appliances. So for example, your mobile phone can actually have a solar panel on your its back cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's a self-standing uh, generating and consuming device. Uh, similarly, you, you could think of other applications too. So I remain extremely positive and uh, excited about the potential of uh, solar technology because I can visualize so many ways in which uh, our world is getting ready to leverage it. Thank you so much for your time, Piyush. It's been really great. I hope you enjoyed that episode and do check out the show notes for more information on my guest. See you next time.